0: We took a presentation that had been used over a long period of time. We we oversimplified it. We thought we had oversimplified it, and it ended up meeting the need really well. Right? It, it resonated with our audience at that time really well.
1: My guest today is Russell Meek, a product manager in the hospitality industry. We've been connected for a while on LinkedIn, and I'm happy to say Russ is one of the faithful listeners to this podcast as well. But early this year, I put a post up on LinkedIn that resonated with russ about how to make your business presentations more effective and russ dropped me a note saying i just put together a self-described grossly oversimplified presentation for our leadership team on one of our complex product lines i literally described it as a kick in the head so your post connected with me he suggested that i might want to review what he'd done and i said well let's talk about it on the podcast so here we are you're listening to episode 141 of the Secrets of Product Management podcast. I'm your host, Nels Davis. In this episode, we discuss a few other podcast episodes that Russ was inspired by, and I'll put links to those and other related links in the show notes, which you can find at secretsofpm.com. Do you have a product management story related to something I talk about on the podcast? Drop me a line on LinkedIn and let me know. Maybe you can be a guest as well. Well, let's get on to the interview. I started out asking Russ about the origins of this presentation. It and the product line it covered had a lot of history, not all good. So you mentioned that you use this PowerPoint over a long period of time. And I think that's familiar to a lot of us, right? We have a template or something that we will do presentations for. Is is that what you mean? Or or was, this, was it actually you kept accreting onto this presentation?
0: I inherited the presentation it was a little bit of a neglected product line. It's a sideline within the organization I used to work for. And nobody really wanted it. It kept getting passed around between the product management team for a few years. It's a good product line. There's there's value there being given to the, to the customers, but it was just something that the company wasn't really investing in. And it kind of kept going and going. So about two years ago, I volunteered to take it on. I had been working on, on another product for a while. I would say I'm kind of lucky in that I came into the organization working for a product that was really well-funded, had a lot of push behind it, and I was kind of spoiled and I knew it right at, the, at that time. And I was like, all right, let me go take on something a little bit more challenging. So I volunteered for this product line and everybody was like, Are you really sure you want to take this? <laughs> so six or seven months into it, right? it took me a few months to get my, my hands around it and, and really understand what the dynamics were within the product line there was a presentation that had been put together previously. And again, it was probably inherited by my predecessor and inherited by his predecessor or her predecessor. And we just kept passing it down. And we said, okay, this presentation while exhaustive and it shows you kind of everything that has to do with the product isn't really driving to the changes that we need to make in the product. Every time we present it, everybody's eyes glaze over. And they're like, yeah, we're not ready to invest in this. There wasn't anything being called out that said, okay, here are three key things that need to be changed so that we can make a real change in this product line, make it exciting again, actually drive some more value from it. It just kept landing like a bag of bricks every time we presented it. But it was our only fact-based presentation or PowerPoint that would give you an idea of what the product line really was. So one of the first things we did was, all right, we need to repackage this product and, and rethink kind of these these basic templates that we've been using. We need to rethink them. And that was where we started. And when we did that, we started pulling things out really fast. Like, OK, we had a, if I remember correctly, there was like a screenshot of a spreadsheet in there. It's, a, it's an inherently complex product because it's global. And some of the partners that we work with, right, it was very partner based, would support some functionality and others partners would support other functionality. And it's all baked under one product, but it was really hard to kind of show the Venn diagram of where everything met together. So the best way we were able to do that previously was with a spreadsheet. And we said, all right, let's just get that off the table. Let's just say we work with these partners, and functionality is variable depending on the partner you're working for. We don't need to restate every single time, like, here's where it does match, here's where it doesn't match, here's where it does work, here's where it doesn't work. Let's just tell everybody, look, we work with a bunch of different partners, some of them that do different things, and then we can talk about the details later.
1: Uh, you mentioned in, in one of your notes to me on, on our LinkedIn chat that you basically were talking in this presentation about the the trees, but you weren't showing the forest. And that's a great example of abstracting up to the forest level, which is, oh, we have a ton of partners. They do different things with our product. Moving on.
0: Exactly. All great intentions, right? I want to make sure that the that the presentation tells the truth of what we're doing. I think that was the intention. And that's where we, I think, get hung up as product managers, trying to be a little too honest and say, oh, I don't want to hide anything. I want to make sure everybody knows that with this partner, we don't really support three things. But then we get pulled into the forest, right? we get pulled into that situation where the audience doesn't even think originally that you were trying to be disingenuous or anything like that. It's just tell me what I need to know, not not all the other details that I don't really need to know all the time.
1: And I think this is totally true that a lot of product managers want to make sure the presentation tells the truth. We often think that the alternative is relying. lying. Yeah. What was some of the reactions to this simplification?
0: Within the team, there was a, a significant amount of debate as we started pulling things out. Wow, that's not telling the truth. Like you just said, well, that's, that's oversimplifying it to where it makes it seem like it works. And if you get into the details, it doesn't really work. Well, we, we had to be careful there too. That's why we had the big you know, disclaimer that said, hey, we're, we've, we work with these two dozen partners and they all do different things. Keep that in mind as you're talking to customers, as we start to have this conversation. It doesn't mean that all the partners support 100% of the functionality. Let's be clear about that. If you want to know more, click here. We've got a great spreadsheet that'll tell you all about it, right? <laughs> but other than that, just be careful as you're having those cards. So we were really careful. With, but But that was where the debate was within the team. When we presented it to really the executive leadership team, so almost two levels above where we were working is where this presentation ended up happening. They just accepted it. They didn't question it. They didn't ask for more detail the following days we were getting requests, hey, can you present this to a couple of other teams and stakeholders that I think would be interested in this type of presentation? That's when I think I reached out to you. I was like, hey, I had a really good experience. We felt like we were going in and maybe we were going to get like, well, you're not telling me anything here. It's way too simple. And it ended up just landing perfectly. That team, that executive level team is what they were looking for. They just wanted the basics. And they wanted to understand where the product line was versus kind of an exhaustive detailing of where our faults are and where the benefits were, and things like that. They just wanted to know at a high level where the product sat.
1: At the end, did you feel, or did they feel, or did your team feel that you'd misled anyone?
0: I don't think that at the end of the day, we felt that way. Which of course is the goal, right? (laughs) Absolutely. So I don't I don't think anybody felt like they were misled. We always had that that asterisk out there, and we always had the backup presentation ready to go. The danger and and possibly the thing that made a couple of of the team members more nervous, we'll say. And and I'm sure this is common. I've seen it at other places as well. As the sales team tends to run with with this kind of thing, right? And and at at one point you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. the sales team is going to take whatever you say and they're going to expand on it in whatever direction makes the sale happen. And and I think that is sometimes dangerous. But I think as long as we're continuing to present. As a matter of fact, like this is where we are, this is where we are. I don't see that as as a huge change. We have to trust our sales teams too, right? We, We have to be able to tell them like, hey, right, don't ignore the caveat here.
1: What else did you do to protect against the sales team, sort of taking too many liberties with your slightly simplified view of the world?
0: We ended up coming up with a modified presentation that had more of an asterisk on it and it actually had the link to the spreadsheet right inside of it, right? So, and, and we, we tried our best to coach the team like, hey, when you click on it and you're having this conversation, go double check, right? Ask those, those questions of the customer, like what partners are you working with today? Which ones would you work with? Which ones are in your region? Let's go through this. And, and it ended up creating a whole bunch of requirements for new material and, and sales collateral as it always does. Right? You can create one presentation, like, hey, can you give me one that does this and one that does that? And can you set it up by region and that kind of thing? So we ended up starting to work on on follow-up presentations that were more focused.
1: Well, I I would ex- expect that giving the sales team more knowledge that's that's accurate, they're going to be more successful. Absolutely. And, and they're not going to sell things you don't have, and they're going to be more likely to tell the right story about the things you have, right?
0: Yeah, and I think the, the sales team's, in general, they, they don't want to be selling things that don't exist either, right? I know they, they probably get a bad rap in most product organizations because that happens, but I think that's just life and the sales teams don't intend for that to happen. They're they're trying to sell what exists, so they just want to be educated as much as possible by us as on, on what exists today.
1: Now, would you say that before this presentation and the sort of follow-on sales collateral, was the sales team poorly equipped to sell this
0: thing? Yes, absolutely. The the sales team was grasping at straws based on that original presentation that was overly complicated, that was really hard to follow. They probably over- and undersold the product more often than not because they didn't know what it actually did, right? Either they assumed all the vendors supported 100% of the functionality or they didn't even bring it up in sales conversations because they knew that there was other accounts that had bad experiences where they thought they were getting something and they weren't. Mm-hmm. Like that, that would just happen all the time where someone would say, yeah, of course we support feature A, B, and C. And then that customer would say, well, yeah, but I'm in this country in Latin America and my vendor doesn't support A, B, and C. It only supports D and E. And they didn't find out about that till too far into the sales process, right? Maybe past the sales process. So that that was happening way too often. We're having all these kind of fire drills to try and fix that. And that was one of the main reasons why we needed to simplify the presentation so that everybody knew like, hey, where does it really land? And where can you find the information that you need before you make the sale?
1: By simplifying it, you actually enabled the sales team to take on the idea that, oh, it's different for different locations. And. That's right, it didn't work with them cognitively to put the table there. It was better to have the picture and the and the asterisk
0: that's right and And part of it is now that i'm I mean now that we're talking about it, I'm starting to remember more about it, right? It was a couple months ago, but part of that third level of complexity with this particular product line was not only was it vendor to vendor, right? That they wouldn't support a certain feature or would support a certain feature. Even a vendor may support a feature in a particular country and not in a different country. So it was that next level of like the spreadsheet will tell you that and plus more if you look at the next tab kind of thing. And it just, it's almost impossible for the sales team to have that conversation. And again, this was just a product amongst, uh, you know, a set of 20, 30 other products that the sales team sells. So it was just too complicated.
1: That's cool. That's cool. You know, when I talk about simplifying presentations, I, I talk about making them accessible to the audience cognitively and actually even at a subconscious level, because what does a fine print spreadsheet on a slide do to somebody? It shuts their subconscious down. It says, it says, I mean, their subconscious says, this person hates me. I do not trust them. I'm going to shut off. Right. Whereas if you have a picture or you have, if it's readable, then they say, oh, okay, this person's taking care of me. Mm -hmm. the subconscious says and now i love them because the subconscious has basically two phases right it has i hate that person or i love that person and so you wanted to stay on the i love that person so this is really cool what do you have any other examples of like you mentioned the simplifying or the essentially the removal of the spreadsheet from the deck Mm -hmm. do you have other things you did to simplify it
0: yes i mean very simply instead of listing out the names of all the partners Mm-hmm. We went and found all their their logos, and we just started displaying the logos on on a big, you know, beautiful slide that just had a bunch of logos on it. And we we called it out as we were going into that slide as part of the presentation. You know, we told the the at the time the executive team that was the first audience of the presentation. Hey, you know, this next slide is going to show you all the the partners that we work with. It's meant to be directional. We're probably took a logo off of an old website at some point or off of a Google image. So don't look at it as the Bible of the of where you would go find out if we work with a partner or not, but it gives you an idea, it gives you an image of how many partners we're dealing with and why we need, you know, at the time we were asking for someone like a partner manager to help us deal with with a lot of those conversations because as a product manager, we could deal with most of that and we had been doing it but there was a real need to put someone in that particular position to deal with just the partner management piece of it while we had a product you know a more strategic product manager dealing with the roadmap
1: did you do any work on the organization of the presentation itself did you work on the flow or on on guiding and things like that
0: yes absolutely so part of what kept making this product line a little bit problematic was that we kept getting pulled into a conversation around compliance. There was a a bit, there was a mountain of work to be done to keep the product compliant. There was a new compliance initiative that came out in, in Europe that required us to do a lot of work. And that's fine, right? We, we knew we needed to do it. Everybody kept getting pulled into that conversation, but we had to zoom out a little bit and say, okay, that's not the only conversation that needs to happen. There's another compliance coming out of India that we're going to need to deal with. There's compliance in the U.S. that we're going to really need to deal with in the next six to 12 months. Don't, don't, that's just compliance, though, right? We've got other issues around normalizing some of that feature parity across the vendors. The vendors were asking us, like, hey, we can support feature A, B, and C now, even though when we first certified with you all, we don't, we didn't support it, we're ready to, to support it. That would help simplify some of the, the prior conversation we were having. Sure. So as we went into the presentation, we said, okay, let's just start with the compliance so that everybody cannot get pulled back into that conversation. Let's just say, okay, compliance is one thing. And we know we're going to be working on that for the next four to six months. Great. Any questions on that? No. Let's move forward. So we, we started with that at the top and then moved it aside so that we could start to have the conversation about the other things that we needed to start to do. I don't know if that was as successful as possible because it did it did create, I think we had like forty minutes to make the presentation to the executive team at the, at that time. And we probably spent fifteen minutes up front talking about the compliance issue. Now it was the most tactical thing that we needed to talk about and get out of the way. so it's fine. but it gave a, you know, it left us with twenty five or so minutes to get into all the other items that we wanted to talk about in the presentation.
1: Did you feel at the end that people's minds you know were at ease about compliance and so they could then take on some of these other things?
0: I think so. I think the, the reason we decided to start with compliance was we had tried to set up a couple of meetings around this product line to talk about the other items, right everything else that we needed to do. And every time we would start that conversation, we would get pulled into it. well, what about the compliance items? What about the fifteen features that we need to get done before we can, we can even think about this other stuff. We were saying, yes, absolutely, right? We know that's the most important thing and we're working on it, but I need to talk about these other six or seven things that we need to get done. And we didn't want to go into a conversation and start talking about those six or seven other things when a couple of those executives' eyes would have glazed over, like, why are we even talking about this and not about the 15 things that we need to get done right now? So we wanted to address that. And I think I think at the end of the day, you know, thinking through it now, I think it worked out well because we were able to address it. And and those executives that were very keen on it, there was three or four that were just like, they, they were more interested as it happens right on certain product lines. And they were very interested in these particular compliance items, maybe because they deal with certain customers in those regions. I don't know. They were just really interested in it. So I think we appeased their their need to talk about that piece of it. And then we were able to move on to, all right, now let's talk about the rest of the stuff.
1: <laughs> you know, I talk about pre-handling objections. The big objection from those people is I need to talk about compliance, right? So you just, you dipped that in the bud.
0: Yes, that's good.
1: Roughly how many different topics did you end up talking about
0: in the 40 minutes? We talked about compliance up front and then we we talked a little bit about how we got to where we were. And like I mentioned towards the beginning of the conversation, this had been somewhat of a neglected i'm not going to say completely neglected right that that's probably over overstating there, there was been there was definitely investment being put towards this product line but it wasn't a major focus area it wasn't like a strategic initiative across the company or anything it sh- it was just keep it going we've got a little bit of an investment going on it it needs to work and we need to keep evolving it but there was never like a concerted effort to focus on that area so we wanted to talk about that. Part of what had happened there was the only reason we were in that product line was based off of a contractual obligation 10 years prior. That's how it started, right? And, and I'm sure a lot of product lines at big companies start that way where, well, we need to do this for this big customer that we're signing. You do it, then you're like, well, I think I could sell it to the next customer. You do a little bit more and a little bit more. And all of a sudden, it's something that's was I a product, but wasn't you know, intended to be from the beginning. And this, this was really a, a good example of those. as a series of contractual commitments that ended up being somewhat useful in the market. We just productized it, I don't know, four or five years ago and said, let's just, let's just make it a product. But then again, we didn't really invest behind it. So we just needed to make sure that all the executives knew that, right? Some of them were newer, they hadn't been around for all those contractual obligations. So when they looked at their portfolio of products, they said, hey, We've got this product here. Someone's telling me it's a real product, and it is to a certain extent. But why is this thing a Swiss cheese of functionality? Why is it so hard to sell? How come when we do sell it, the customer always comes back and says, Wow, we didn't really feel like we got what we thought we were gonna get here? Well, let me tell you a story. This product came around because we didn't thoughtfully put together a go-to-market plan, we didn't go through you know, a a market fit exercise, we didn't go through any of that, we just created a feature for one customer and then created another feature for the next customer. And all of a sudden, five or six years later, we had built enough features to probably smash it together and start to sell it as something. And that's how we started selling it. And that's where we are today. We just want to be clear with everybody. That's where we are. Doesn't mean we have to stop selling it. It doesn't mean it doesn't work. It's just that's where we are today. And if we want to change that, these are a couple of things that we would like to do next. And that, and that's when we kind of pivoted to the next conversation.
1: So you pivot into a, here's the things we need to build to be grownups or whatever.
0: Exactly. To be grownups. That's perfect.
1: <laughs> at the opening part of this presentation, did you tell people we're going to talk about compliance and then we'll go through a little background and then I'll talk about the new things. Did you some kind of a, a level setting at the beginning?
0: We did. I mean, we had the, the presentation definitely had a, a, a table of contents at the front and we we laid out, look, we're going to talk about the compliance items up front because they're front and center. We are going to talk a little bit about the history of where, why we are where we are, just to give everybody that context. And then we're going to talk about a couple of the things that we need to do next and where we think some of those things may even begin to jump the line on some of the compliance items. That was the other part of the conversation that we were trying to have and say, hey, we might be able to do one or two of these things prior to completing the compliance items. I know that sounds hard, but we want to explain why we think that, right? It it may end up benefiting us because we're not really that prevalent in that region or that region. There was a couple of reasons why we made that recommendation at the end of the presentation.
1: Right. And so the obvious question at the end is, you know, this is maybe the first salvo right of a sale job. What were the the results, the outcome of
0: of this? We got a lot of nodding in the room and we were able to I think foster some support for the for the plan. We didn't get any any more funding for it. So at the end of the day I don't know if if we can say it was completely successful right at the what we wanted was some resourcing so that we could go and and actually do some things that we needed to do we ended up presenting to a few more stakeholders the sales team the marketing team we went through and presented to a couple of other product managers that were part of a different product line, just so that they could get eyes on it. They, they were kind of a uh, a parallel product line that would benefit if if we were able to do some good things in this product line. And there was a significant amount of back and forth, right? Going back to the comment about like, well, is this so simplified that it's disingenuous? We had that conversation with that other product team, and they were like, I don't know. This makes it seem like it works really well, and we know it doesn't because we've had experience with it, right? <laughs> so there was a lot of debate on that. I want to be honest, right? That that was definitely something that we we struggled with as a team on this particular item.
1: So how did those conversations resolve? Did you were you able to persuade them that you're not misleading
0: people? What we did was we refreshed all that sales collateral, and we said, "Look, the intent of this presentation is to give an overview." not to be the exhaustive source of truth on what each vendor can and cannot do. Everybody was okay with that at the end. Like, okay, fine. If the audience is this and the intent is really to just give an overview for those that are barely learning what this thing does, that works. As long as there's always that you know disclaimer that the exhaustive list lives somewhere else and we've got the spreadsheet to back it up, then great. Right,
1: great. You reached out to me. You know, you you've been a listener to the podcast. You saw me on LinkedIn writing. I guess it was a post about writing sales presentations. So I'll put a link to that and some related podcast episodes into the show notes. I'm curious, how did you learn about my podcast?
0: I have to give credit to Tom Winrow. He he is a mentor of mine. I learned from him the last seven eight years when I I started at Saber, Um, and he he brought up this podcast. Uh, on a group chat that we had at at our company and he he's always uh kind of recommending to to new product managers to listen to your podcast so that's where i learned about the secrets of product management it was called something else before right it was uh, all
1: the responsibility none of the authority that's right that's right which is a great insider inside product management name inside (laughs) baseball name Yep. But n- most people don't know what it means. So <laughs> I had, I felt it would be better to change the name.
0: I quote it all the time. All of oh. the re- all of the responsibility, none of the authority. Right? Excellent. Just... <laughs> Great.
1: That's good. And and so, well, I appreciate Tom for turning you on to it. You've now moved on. Tell me a little bit about the process, and and so what you've what you're doing now.
0: A colleague, another mentor of mine. She had left a year or two back and was working at a company that is doing data analytics for the hospitality industry, which I thought was very interesting. There's a little bit of opportunity there to help hotels make better decisions, pricing decisions, financial decisions. She had a position open for a, a leadership role that I thought I was ready for. I had a conversation and I moved over there and, and I've been there 90 days today, in fact. Still very much the new guy on the block. I'm sure everybody feels this way, but drinking from a fire hose the first couple of months at at any product management job, it's just a lot of information.
1: So are there any any hints or guidelines as to what you're doing to make sure this uh, first 90 days is a good ramp up to the rest of your career there?
0: I re-listened to some of your podcasts the the week before I started, right? I was like, all right, I've (laughs) got to get a little bit of the the basic abc's back in my mind as i walk in because it'll be it'll be a shock right that i i knew everything about my old product i knew all the history all the context was there i i could just you know on a dime pull up the the files that i needed in my mind and now i'm i'm starting fresh and there's history and context that i need to learn here and there's team dynamics and there's different ways that these particular uh product teams and dev teams work together. That's very different than what I'm used to. It's a much smaller company. It's a newer company where it was, you know, it's grown through acquisition the last couple of years. So even within the company, there are multiple teams that operate a little bit differently. So it's not just like walking in and learning one way that a product team works with their dev team. It's four ways that four product managers work with four different dev teams that all operate just slightly different and use different tools. One of the reasons I'm there is to try to pull that all together and try to start to get us to a place where we can scale and 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 share some efficiencies across the board and things like that so i'm I'm trying I was trying the first ninety days to really be in listen mode as much as as much as I could hold myself to because I'm also I'm a product manager that wants to speak up and wants to like start to change things and turn knobs and things like that. but I tried really hard to keep myself in a listen mode the first the first 90 days. I think the next 90 days, I, I've i got some ideas of where I think we need to probably start to affect some things. That sounds like a good adventure coming up.
1: Well, Russ, this has been great. I love the story about this transformation of the presentation and the fact that it ties so well into stuff that I often talk about on the podcast, which obviously that's the connection here as well. But it's just, I, I guess the big thing for me is that you know, I give this advice out there and it's worked for me and it's not like I'm making stuff up. Other people say similar things, but it's really great to hear a story of, oh, I did this thing that everybody talks about. We're, we're all worried about whether it's going to be the wrong thing or the right thing. And it was the right thing. And and so it's, it's great to hear that story.
0: You're, you're not putting it out there in vain. The content is great. I listen to it. I listen to it with my kids in the car and we comment on it. Like it's, you, you really have a, a good storytelling voice, and it it, it resonates, at, at least with me, very much so.
1: Yeah, what do your kids think about
0: it? So they're in a STEM school here in Arizona, and I'm noticing a lot of the way that they're being taught kind of has some fundamental product management topics to it right like they were talking about like a marketing plan for some project that they were working on and they talk a lot about identifying needs and things like that and and it just it sparked my ear every time i hear that that they're that they're working and I, i think it probably comes more from like the stem side of things where they're taking engineering principles and trying to apply them even in middle school and high school to them sure but I recognize some of the terms. So when we listen, they they do kind of perk up and like well, I know about that or there. So I think I think it's it's something that they appreciate and we listen to in the class
1: Oh, sometimes. that's fantastic. <laughs> I'd love to I'd love to hear their thoughts if they want to reach out there. I'm certainly ha- more than happy to talk to them about that. Sure. Anything that they have found interesting or have questions about, mm. I'd love to get that would be so fun to get questions. So here's my podcast Thanks. episode about questions from seventh graders.
0: I'll, I'll prompt it. If there's anything that comes up, I'll let you know for sure. Well,
1: Russ has been great. Thank you for joining me on the podcast episode. If people want to reach out to you, what's a good pl- way to do that?
0: Uh, my LinkedIn profile, Russell A. Meek is, is a good place to reach out for anything kind of professional related. I try to keep everything on LinkedIn. Uh, my email address is Russell A. Meek at gmail.com. You're also welcome to reach out to me there. And thank you, Nils. This, this has been a great conversation.
1: I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Russ Meek as much as I did. His on-the-ground experience with transforming a presentation from one that landed with a thud to one that created engagement and requests for Can We See That Again is a great lesson for us all in persuasion. I didn't ask Russ to give me three things to start doing today, but his story very neatly came in three parts. First, simplify, simplify. We product managers are completists As Russ mentioned, we're afraid that simplifying our data is tantamount to lying. This is not true, and it's especially not true if we want to engage our audience, who typically does not care about the details the way that we do. Second, structure your presentation so the audience can follow along, and, as Russ demonstrated, so you can control the conversation. Russ put the compliance discussion front and center So that he could get it out of the way and actually continue with other topics and not get distracted. And finally, number three, pre-handle objections. Put yourself in your audience's shoes, understand what they're going to be triggered by and what questions they will have, and answer those as part of your presentation. This goes a long way toward keeping them engaged. So you've been listening to episode 141 of the Secrets of Product Management with my guest, Russ Meek. For notes on this episode, go to secretsofpm.com, where you can also subscribe to the podcast and leave me a comment on this or any other episode. If you have a great story of persuasion that you'd like to share, drop me a line on LinkedIn and we'll chat. Maybe you can be a guest like Russ. I hope to hear from you. That's it for this episode. Until next time, this is Nels Davis. Bye-bye.